Good morning. This morning we will be in Exodus chapter 34, verses 29 to 35. You can find that in the Pew Bible in front of you on page 75. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had, not been, he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that he out excuse me, all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. It's good to be back. I feel like Moses. I think, I think we've been on a mountain for three months, soaking in the glory of God. Am I glowing? Am I glowing? A little halo? <laughs> there you go. If you've been coming to church here for a while or, or uh, even the last few weeks, you know that we've been in Exodus, the book of Exodus, from slavery to glory. We're at that part of the book, maybe even the climax of the book, where there's been all kinds of the glory of God, the plagues, the Red Sea has split the cloud of smoke and fire, bread has rained down from heaven, for goodness sake. And yet Moses still has cried out, God, show me your glory. I need more. I need to see your face. Bread is cool. Water out of a rock, that's awesome. But I want to see the face of God. Show me your glory. And Moses has been up and down this mountain now several times and so he went up on that mountain and he received the law. He received the law. But then in chapter 32, Moses comes back down the mountain and he is met with the golden calf. All sin has broken loose in the camp. And so now Moses is back up on top of the mountain, pleading with God. God, show me your glory. God has forgiven. We're going to move forward. God has re-chiseled the Ten Commandments onto tablets of stone. And that's where we are in, in this passage. Moses now is coming back down the mountain with the new tablets, and he's glowing. He's glowing. The people are afraid. They try to hide. It implies that they ran away because they have to come back. Verse 30. 
Moses has to call to them, and they come back to him, and he speaks the law to them. All that the Lord commanded him on the top of the mountain, God will speak to them now at the bottom of the mountain. And then we see this veiling process of Moses in verses 33 through 35. When Moses goes into God's presence, he unveils. When he speaks God's word, he remains unveiled. But then he he veils. He puts a veil over his face outside of the presence of God. This text doesn't totally explain why, which is why we're going to go to a different text this morning. So, grab your Bible. Find 2 Corinthians. Uh, Paul is going to use this story to explain how we change, how we are transformed by God. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We are transformed by glory. Transformed by glory. If you're in here this morning and you're a Christian, chances are you have tried to change. You've probably read a book about how to change. Maybe a Christian book. Maybe some sort of self-help book. Maybe you follow blogs or, or Instagram influencers or whatever, uh, pa- favorite pastors, in order to know how to be transformed and grow. Spiritual growth, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. Spiritual growth. How do we grow spiritually? My guess is that many of us as Christians are still very frustrated with our own spiritual growth. Why? Well, because we tend to look at our own performance and our own feelings in the process. I'm not doing as well as I thought I'd be doing. I'm still sinning. I'm still worried. I'm still anxious. I'm still tempted. I still fall back into that sin. Or I just don't feel it. I don't feel in love with Jesus. I don't feel more in love with God now than I did five years ago or ten years ago or last weekend or whatever. And so we're constantly bouncing from mountaintop to mountaintop trying to regain that loving feeling, right? We go to the concerts and we go to the camps and we go to the conventions and we go to the conferences and we, and we watch the videos and we do it all so that we can change. But it's not a lack of effort that's the problem, it's a, it's a faith problem. We don't have an effort problem, we have a faith problem. We have a beholding problem. We have a presence problem. Are we in the presence of God by faith? Now listen to me. God grows you, Christian, full stop, period, the end. God grows you, but we participate in that process by faith. We participate, we are partners with God, koinonia, the Greek concept, we are partners with God by faith. And that's what Paul's going to tell us about here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, let's start at verse 6. 
2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. If your Bible's not open, get it open. If, you're, if, you're, if you don't have it on your device, get it on your device. Have it in front of you. I'm not putting it on the screens. Paul, in verse 6, says, God has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. So Paul is going to, in this chapter, he's going to be contrasting the new covenant with the old covenant. Old covenant, that's what Moses got on the mountain, Exodus. New covenant, that's what Jesus Christ gives us by his death on the cross. Old covenant from Moses, new covenant from Jesus, old covenant through the giving of law, new covenant through the giving of the Spirit. Old covenant condemns us. New covenant offers forgiveness. Old covenant kills. New covenant gives life. Old covenant Old covenant cannot change you, powerless to change you. New covenant, the power to change. Old covenant ending, new covenant permanent. You got it? Okay. The new covenant does what the old covenant could never do because through the cross of Christ, it cancels every sin, and through the resurrection of Christ, It gives us a new life, a new heart with new desires. Therefore, the new covenant is a greater glory than the old covenant. Look at verse 7. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone, okay, that's, that's Mount Sinai, that's the Ten Commandments, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. Verse 8, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory." Verse 10, indeed, in this case, what once had glory, the old covenant, has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. He's contrasting the two covenants He's contrasting the glories of the two covenants. This isn't, he's not saying the old covenant didn't have any glory. He's contrasting degrees of glory, like a flashlight versus the sun. If I turn on a flashlight, there's light. But if I'm outside in the bright sun at 12 o'clock and I'm walking around with a flashlight on, you're questioning if I'm okay. Why are you doing that, Brady? Now, flashlights are great in dark places, aren't they? A flashlight can get you out of a dark place and out into the sun. And that's what the law can do. The law can shine in a dark place. The law can shine amongst our sin. But it's meant to get us out into the sun. It's meant to get us out into the sun. The law is glorious. It was from God. It reflected God. 
It teaches us how to love. It teaches us how to be holy like God. But in the end, the law has a ministry of death. Paul will say that the power of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. And that's the pattern. Law exposes sin, which brings death. Exodus, Moses gets the law, it exposes the law. Don't have any other gods. Don't make a graven image. Golden calf. <laughs> one and two. Gone. <laughs> they broke one and two right off the bat. And I would argue three and four, <laughs> a whole bunch of them. And then what happened? 3,000 die. I don't know who preached that sermon, but it wasn't, I'm sure it wasn't fun. Law, sin, death. Guys, that's the, rest of your, that's the rest of your Old Testament. Have you ever read it? They don't, they don't keep the law. They sin, and then people die. Listen, make no mistake. Make no mistake. God's righteous standard of the law has not gone away. God still requires us to love and be just and be righteous. Make no mistake, if you die and go to hell today, it will be because you broke the law of God. That's why you're going to go to hell. That's what you will be judged upon. The question is, is, is there an escape from that judgment? Look at verse 14. Here's the problem. There's a veil their minds are hardened. Verse 14, 2 Corinthians 3, 14. Their minds were hardened for to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. Paul's doing something interesting here. He's, put the, he's taken the veil off of Moses, and he's put it on everybody else. In the story, in the Exodus story, Moses was the veiled one, right? And everybody else is like, what? And now Paul's saying, no, actually, everybody else is veiled. In other words, they can't see the purpose of the law. They can't see what it's about. Veiled. We hear the law of God and we say, I can do it. If I just try harder, if I just do more, I haven't really been giving it my best, Brady, so let me give it my best shot. That's a veil. That's a veil. We don't see our inability to keep God's standard, and then when we don't see that, we don't see Christ. If we think we can be our own saviors, then we don't need a savior, do we? We don't need Jesus. And so this veil prevents us from seeing our own inability and our, and our own need for a savior. Sometimes we Christianize this and we say, Jesus will help me keep the law of God. 
Listen, if you think that Jesus will help you keep the law of God, you got two problems. Number one, you have way too low a view of the law. Number two, you have way too high a view of yourself. (laughs) This side of heaven, you are not going to keep the law. You understand that? You better learn to fall on grace. The children saying it. Everybody just needs Jesus. (laughs) We should have just ended it right there. That's the sermon. Two verses in a chorus. We're out of here. Verse 16, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Praise God. Praise God. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed, unveiled. We can see the glory of God. We can see the glory of God in Christ, and this transforms us. How does it happen? He says, we turn to the Lord. We turn to the Lord. What does that mean? It means we turn to the Word of the Lord. We hear the Word of the Lord. Moses heard the Word of the Lord and he glowed. On the mountain of transfiguration, Jesus goes on top of the mountain. It's all very Exodus. And he hears the Word of God. This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. And then what happens to Jesus? He glows. He's transfigured. Moses hears and glows. Jesus hears and glows. What happens to us? We hear, we glow. But we got to believe. We got to hear and believe. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. We hear the gospel and we believe it. And in so doing, we are turning to the Lord and the veil is being removed. We begin to believe that Jesus kept the law perfectly in our place. We begin to believe that He is our Savior and that He now indwells me, making it possible for me to change. And when I begin to believe that, when I begin to see that law-keeping has no place in my justification, when I begin to believe that, the veil, that's when I can know that the veil has come off. What do you hear when you hear the law? Do you hear your own ability to keep it? or your own need to keep it, or do you hear your own inability to keep it? What do you hear when you hear the gospel? What do you hear when you hear the story of Jesus? What do you see when you see a cross? At worst, maybe some of you see something terrible or or a, a lie. At best, you know, wrongly at best, you might see an example. Jesus is a great example. What we need to see is a Savior. Jesus, our Savior. Look over at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Paul says, if our gospel is veiled... It is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light 
of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The veiling comes from the God of this world, Satan, and he wants to keep us thinking, you can do it, you can perform, you can, you can earn God's favor instead of seeing what the cross is meant to show us, which is our abundant need and his abundant provision. Are you veiled? Are you veiled this morning? I'm enough. No, you're not. But he is. I can do it. No, you can't. But he can. Self-esteem. No, that's a house of cards. You don't need self-esteem. You need forgiveness. Parents, don't teach your kids self-esteem. Teach them how to find forgiveness in the love and mercy of Jesus Christ. That's what they need. But when one turns to the Lord, let me ask you, will you turn today? Is today the day of your turning? (laughs) I pray it is. There's no better day. (laughs) No better day than today to turn to the Lord, is there? No better day than today than than to fall down at his feet and cry out for mercy. God, I need you. God, I know that you have saved me through Jesus. Jesus kept the law. Jesus took the curse of the law. Jesus took the punishment for me. I choose him. Now let's look at verses 17 and 18 of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. When we turn to the Lord, verse 16, and the veil comes off, we receive the Spirit of God. We receive the Spirit of God, and He is the Spirit of freedom. He is the Spirit of liberty that allows us all to enter into the presence of God. Now we're all Moses. Moses would go into the presence of God, and chapter 33, 11, he would meet with him face to face as someone meets with a friend. And he would walk away from that experience transfigured. It's literally the same word. Changed. Transformed. Paul's saying that's every Christian. Every Christian enters the presence of God and is changed. And is changed. And is changed. And is changed. Here's our our thesis sentence. By the Spirit, we enter freely into the presence of God to be transformed into Christ's likeness by beholding the glory of His cross.
I'm going to share with you three truths about this. Three things you have to believe if you want to change. If you want to be transformed. Are you ready? Truth number one. To change, we must believe that we have been and are being changed by God. Truth number one. To change, we must believe that we have been and are being changed by God. This is faith. God changes us. Christian, if you're a Christian, if you are in Christ, God has changed you. The veil has been taken off. Notice Paul didn't say, when somebody takes off their own veil, that's not what happens. Christ takes off the veil. When Christ takes off the veil, you have been changed. Christian, you are being changed. Your change is inevitable. I don't care where you are, what's happening. If you you sit in my office and you say, Brady, I'm a Christian, but I'm not growing spiritually, I'm going to look at you and say, false. You are growing. Because if you're not, then God has stopped doing what God does. And God doesn't stop doing what God does. God grows you. God changes. Now, life might be a dumpster fire. It might be a disaster. You might be making all kinds of bad decisions. But trust me, God is using all of it for your glory, for your good, to change you and conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. It's happening. And that's step number one. You have to believe that. If you don't believe that, if you believe, Christian, that you can stop growing or go backwards or whatever, if you believe that, then we got to get you into step one first. You have to believe that this is of God. Your spiritual growth is 100% of God. Truth number two. To truly change, we must behold a greater glory, the love of God in Christ. Now, remember what I said early on. Yes, it's all of God, but it's also a participation, isn't it? By faith. God's grace, your faith. His part, grace. Your part, faith. The grace is happening. It's going to happen. You're changing. You're growing. Why? Because even your faith is something that God, by His grace, is pouring into you. Right? Okay. We have to behold a greater glory. The love of God in Christ. Have, have you ever seen or heard something that changed you? Of course you have. Right? You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, have you ever just seen maybe something in nature? Like, you walked up to the Grand Canyon for the first time, and you're like, wow. This puts things in perspective. <laughs> or maybe, you know, watching your bride come down the aisle on your wedding day, and your heart melts. <laughs> or maybe the birth of your child. <laughs> 
They hold up that little baby, and you're like, what is happening? Everything's different now. I am not the same person. Or maybe it was just an act of love and kindness toward you. Or somebody did something for you that was just so, so uncalled, like you just didn't see it coming, and it, and it wrecked you, like it melted your heart. Do you know what I'm talking about? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, half of us know what I'm talking about. All right, we'll get there. Let me ask you this. Has love ever changed you? I'm sure it has. I'm sure it has. I mean, listen, I get it. For some of us, there there are some of us that grew up without a lot of love, right? And it has been very hard for us to be loved, to let ourselves be loved. But then maybe it was the love of Christ (laughs) that came crashing in and proved to you, like, I'm I'm lovable? What? What? I've never known that before. And that changed you. It changed you. See, transformation comes when we find a glory that's greater than ourselves, a love that's perfect and pure and greater than ourselves. This is why in Romans 8, Paul says, those who love God are conformed to the image of His Son. What's the process? I love God, I look at God, and I love Him, and in loving Him, I am changed. Do you see it? In loving Him, I am changed. And I love Him because He first loved me. Listen, there's only one thing in this life that fits the description of transcendent, good, perfect love, and that's God. That's God Himself in Christ You can try to behold lesser glories, corrupted glories, but all that's going to happen when you run to them, when you run, like Bill prayed, when you run to these other gods, these lesser gods, you're going to destroy them and then they'll destroy you. That's the process. That's what's going to happen every single time. If I worship my children, I will destroy my children. Why? Because they are not intended to bear the weight of glory. My heart needs a glory that only God can bear, that only God can give. And when I require it of my kids, when I say things to my children like, you're my everything, darling. You're my everything. I'd be lost without you, precious. You just put a weight on your child. When you look at your spouse, your lover, your, your boyfriend, and you say, you're everything to me, you just, you just destroy it. You just put a weight on them that now they have to carry. Do you see it? When you put that weight on your work or your career, when you put it on an opportunity, watch, one of the, watch American Idol sometime, right? What would it mean to you, contestant X, what would it mean to you to make it into the round of 20? Oh, it would be everything to me. This, this is my whole life. I've been waiting for this moment my whole… And then what if they don't make it? It wasn't meant to bear that weight of being your everything. And then as it begins to crumble, as that thing begins to crumble, what do we do? We get underneath and try to prop it up. We prop our family up. 
We prop our career up. We prop our, our opportunities up. And we make sure they don't let us down. And we control and we manipulate. And we become angry and anxious and annoying. And every other A word. And then we, we get upset. I didn't, I didn't mean that in the way it sounded. <laughs> I realized as soon as I said it, I was like, that didn't sound good. <laughs> I've been, I've been away too long. <laughs> Listen, back on track. We need to worship the only one that can handle the pressure. You don't, do you know what I'm saying? Cast all your cares on Him. Not your child, not your boss, not your lover, not your best friend. Cast all your cares on Him. Why? Because He can handle it. He's the only one who can handle it. He's the only one meant to bear that glory, that weight of glory. Listen, this is, this is how you overcome sin in your life. How does, a, how does a person overcome sin? You have to replace a lesser glory with a greater glory. Ask yourself, when I'm angry, when I'm lusting, when I'm greedy, when I'm gossiping, what am I after? What am I truly after? What's my deepest desire? What do I want? And then ask yourself, can that thing, can that person, can that opportunity, will it actually satisfy that desire? And of course the answer is no. And so how do we overcome sin? We have to let those lesser desires drive us into the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ, the one who can satisfy everything we truly want. Listen, church, what do we want? Do we want behavior modification or do we want true, lasting heart transformation? Do we want nice kids, socially acceptable kids, or do we want kids with transformed hearts? Do we want our discipleship to just be a list of practices? Or do we want our discipleship to be true heart change? That's what I'm talking about. And so how does it happen? We have to keep the love. Remember, a greater glory. We have to behold the greater glory of the love of God in Christ. And we have to keep that in front of us all the time. We have to hear the gospel. And we have to sing the gospel. And we have to gather to live out the gospel. And we have to pray the gospel. And we have to preach the gospel to ourselves. We have to behold Christ in the gospel. And then truth number three. If we want to be like Christ... Hopefully you do. We must be willing to be transformed into the crucified Christ. If we want to be like Christ, we must be willing to be transformed into the crucified Christ. Okay, let's review. We're changed as we behold a greater glory. The love of Christ. Where do we see the love of Christ on its fullest display? The cross. The cross is the greatest glory of God. Moses said, show me your glory. And God said, okay, 
I will make all my goodness pass before you. The Lord, the Lord, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, he will forgive sins to the thousands and he will in no way spare the guilty. Punishing to the third and the fourth. God's glory is forgiveness of every sin and punishing of every sin. Well, where did that happen? The cross. The cross is the greatest glory of God. And so if you want to be transformed by glory, if you want to be in the image of Christ, then you have to be in the image of the crucified Christ. The crucified Christ. Christ-likeness is cross-likeness. We have to behold the cross. We have to boast in the cross. We have to take up the cross. If you're not willing to embrace the weakness, the dishonor, the submission, the sacrifice, the dying of the cross, then you are not going to be transformed into glory. This is the Christian life. Transformation only happens through dying. Resurrection only came after the cross. Glorification only happens after and through humility. Yes, it says, yet Paul says, the Spirit is a ministry of life. But listen, Christian, it is a life of dying. It is a life of dying. It is a life of putting to death what is evil inside of you. Colossians 3. Look at verse 18. Our transformation is from one degree of glory to another. What does that mean? It means that it's slow. It's process. Well, you know what else was slow and a process? The cross. Jesus didn't die quick. They didn't behead him. They didn't shoot him full of arrows. And he fell over dead in a minute. He died slowly, painfully, and through his suffering, he was made perfect. He he grew. He became able to bear our sins through his suffering. Our dying to self, our dying to the deeds of the flesh, the selfishness, is what changes us, and it's what changes others. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10. Hang in there. We're almost done. We're almost done. Hang in there. 2 Corinthians 4, 10. 4, 10. Always, this is Paul talking about himself, always carrying in the body the what? Death of who? Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. And he means that literally, like literally he puts his life on the line. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So, look at 12. So death is at work in us, but life in us you. How do other people change? Man, I wish joy would change. 
I pray every day for the spiritual growth of joy. Lord Jesus, please change joy. Boy, does she need it. Is that what this teaches? No. How do other people change? Other people change as we die. I carry the death of Jesus so that life can be at work in her. I carry around the death of Jesus so that life can be at work in you and you and you and you and you. I give up what I want and what I desire and my agenda so that you can grow and flourish and know and hear and be saved and praise and glorify. That's how change happens. What, what came out of Jesus when he was crucified? Well, I'll tell you what didn't come out. Anger, rage, malice, cursing, division, disappointment, blaming, victimhood. Did he say anything on the cross that sounded like any of those things? What did come out? When, when Jesus was squeezed, what came out? Forgiveness, love, care. Care for his mother. Presence. You're going to be with me today, brother. What comes out when we're squeezed? Well, it depends on what's going in. What are we beholding? What are we beholding? That's what will come out when we're squeezed. So that the death of Christ is at work in us so that the life of Christ might be at work in others. That's the story of the cross, isn't it? When Jesus died a death, we lived a life. We are alive because he died, and that pattern still exists, Christian. That's still how it works. Why, was it, why is it slow? Why is it a process? Why is it from glory to glory? Because listen to me, Christian, because it's by faith because he's not doing it without you. Sure, Jesus could drop a glory bomb and transform you in one instant, and you'd be this amazing person walking around earth, loving everybody, la, la, la. That, that'd be nice. But he wants you to participate. <laughs> he wants you to trust him in the process. Do you see that? But listen. Listen, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged, brothers and sisters. There is a day coming when that bomb will be dropped, <laughs> when that veil will be wide open, and we will see him. We will see the scars on his hands, and we'll compare the scars on our hearts to the scars on his hands. And we will compare them, and we will see all the ways that God used them for his glory. And we will become like him because we will see him as he is. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to be like you. We confess our frustration. Too often we, we, we judge that by our performance and we judge that by our feelings instead of looking at you, beholding you the greater glory, the greatest glory, the glory of your love, the, great, the glory of your unconditional love, 
the glory of your cross. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that at the end of the day, this is a process that you are unfolding. Spirit, you are unfolding. He who began the good work in me will be faithful to complete it. We believe that. We believe that. God, I pray for anybody sitting here today who is still veiled. They're hearing everything I'm saying and they're thinking, nah, I don't believe it. I don't need it. That's just for you people. God, I'm not sure exactly how it all works, but take that veil off. Would you please, by the preaching of your word, by the love of the saints, would you take that veil off today? Show our hearts, show our hearts your deep love for us. For every discouraged Christian, show them the glowing that is happening in their life. Show them, reveal to them, give them a little glimpse of all the ways that you are transforming them in your presence. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.